Happy, happy Monday, my lovely listeners, and welcome back to Overshare. I am Genevieve, your guide on your journey to self-actualization, and we are back for another episode to start your week off right, your Monday off right, your mindset reset, and we are continuing our journey in the deep dive uh, through the waters of narcissism, uh, and today I'm, I'm very excited because this is something that... I think is we're taking a turn towards the positive and we're going to be focusing on healing from these relationships. And, you know, we've kind of been talking about how to identify them, you know, the cycles of abuse within narcissistic relationships. And today we're going to talk about the journey of healing and, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, the process that you have to take in order to to get there so and i'm so excited to have my guest on today her name is antonia hernandez she is a trauma therapist here in the dallas area and i she just has such a great insight on this topic she deals with survivors of narcissistic abuse so i'm just really grateful that she took the time out today to come on the show and just give us her her story the stories that she's heard along the way and again some just great tips tools and tricks that we're going to be going over later on in the show to get you through kind of the hard the hardest part which is the healing so with that Antonia tell us a little bit about yourself well I have my associate's uh, degree in professional counseling and marriage and family therapy I primarily work with like you said survivors of child abuse or domestic violence. Um, So a lot of the perpetrators are or have symptoms of narcissism, uh, but I don't work with them. So what we're going to be focusing on is how to help clients heal after they deal with those types of personalities. Um, I have a dog. His name is Frank. He's the best. (laughs) I was going to say that. She's a dog mommy too, like (laughs) me. So Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And so this is, you know, this is a passion. I think helping people heal is so important. Having people understand the importance of self-care and understanding their childhood and how their childhood can impact their relationships as adults. So I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yay, Antonia. I'm so excited when she did it. I kind of asked her at the last minute and she just, like I said, I'm so grateful to have someone who one is professionally, has a professional perspective when it comes to you know healing and you know kind of identifying abuse and kind of the avenues that you should take or shouldn't take and again healing looks different for everyone my lovely listeners you know you you really have to find your path and identify what that path looks like before you can walk down it and that's why throughout the month of January we've had different perspectives with the guests that I've had on we had Shannon on who kind of runs a support group he's got that communal sense of all of these stories that he hears and and then we had Alina on last week that you know she it was more of a personal perspective what she went through and now we have Antonia who's like I said she kind of has this whole new you know lens to 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 give to you my lovely listeners to to guide you on this I'm going to say treacherous path (laughs) because it's not an easy one to walk down and some people don't decide not to walk down it. And I've said it over and over again, healing is a choice that you have to make and that's really the first step. But anything else you want to tell our lovely listeners? I I know you're an avid, uh, like uh, you like to to frequent white rock with the doggy, so. Very true. (laughs) So what you just said about the healing part and the importance of it being a choice. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to get into that about the self-care, but my form, because hearing these cases is hard, right? Yeah. Like secondhand trauma that you hear just from uh, learning about someone else's experience. And so, yep, my way of dealing with it, uh, or one of the main ways, is walking around White Rock with my little dog and just being in nature. And so I'll talk about that later, too. Okay. And just, Antonia, tell my lovely listeners just a little bit. I know that because I, I gave the generality of, you know, you, you're a trauma therapist here, but g- just tell our lovely listeners kind of your day to day, like what you see or what you're what you deal with on, you know, on, on the daily so they kind of have your perspective, what you go through and why you need the self care, <laughs> why you need the dog, the dog walks and the, you know, vice versa. <laughs> right. So it varies. Um, usually I will see about, I would say four to seven clients a day. Mm -hmm. Um, I deal a lot with uh, 
uh, like I said, victims of child abuse and victims of domestic violence. And where I work, the agency that I work for, we primarily help the clients immediately following the incident. So uh, whether that is a woman choosing to leave or um, a child making an outcry against the abuser, then they will pretty early on into their uh, outcry come to see us. So what I see is the process that people take when they're healing, um, which takes time. I have clients yeah. I've worked with for up to two years. Um, and then some, depending on their family support, which we'll get into also, um, the support around them, their willingness to attend and be involved in therapy. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of things that I deal with, but primarily it's, it's that immediate the, the the immediate support really is just to give my the listeners an idea. So you're the you're kind of that point of contact or that person right after the traumatic experience or the trauma or maybe the decision for them to exit a very abusive situation or relationship. And again, this because doesn't necessarily is limited to a romantic relationship. Obviously, because of your uh, focus with children, I think that's really. Um, Sad. Well, I was going to say sad, but I mean, it, it, there is a part of it that's sad, but, it is, yeah. um, you know, there's this whole dynamic that we don't realize that goes on. And I think that, you know, it's, it's good to have that. Uh, it's good to know that there are people like you out there is I guess what I'm trying to say that there's someone who can deal with, you know, an immediate response to trauma and I, I feel like uh, a lot of people out you know like especially my listeners they might not know that even exists that that help and that support out there exists for certain individuals or if you're going through something like that that there's out there's community there's people out there that are like you and have your job and have your <laughs> that are here in the world to help so Thanks for saying that. I think one of the, when, when someone first hears trauma counselor, I always get the, oh, really? That yeah. must be so hard. That must be so sad. That's almost always someone's response. Um, but I think one of the reasons that this job is so, you know, more than worth it, it like I said at the beginning, it's a passion because yeah. you get to see the clients, so this is after they've made their police report, this is after they've, you know, most of the charges have been filed against the perpetrator, and so now they're uh, trying to cope with what comes after. Sometimes the perpetrator is someone in the family that they have to learn to, you know, balance the family structure without now. A yeah. lot of times the women have to learn how to, uh, you know, be the primary caregivers or breadwinners of the family. And so, you know, even clients will be very grateful to their therapist at the very beginning because they didn't have support before. Yeah. And so that weekly hour is so meaningful to them. But I always have to remind them, you know, you're the one who brought yourself here. You're the one who decided that this was that you that you've had enough and wanted support and are looking for it you're the one who puts in the work every week bef between the sessions you know yeah I, mean? I think when people start therapy a lot of times we have this idea that it's going to be like magic the next day I'm going to just feel better and it's no, not that it's right not. It <laughs> it's not so much work in between that one hour a week and and I think it's easy for clients to forget we're just guides therapists are just guides everyone that comes to see us they're the ones putting in the work and I always make sure and tell the clients that too especially uh, I work a lot with the Hispanic population um, and so the cultural stereotypes that surround mental health in the first place yep uh, I think you know in lower socioeconomic statuses to begin with like yeah being able to have therapy is a privilege i think um or not necessary or not real or exactly. not needed or you know w seen as weak i think Absolutely. and and you know just not i don't know what i don't know what the word i'm trying to think of is but just kind of like frou-frou like it's not yeah. real like they just suck it up and deal with what you what you know what you have to deal with and i totally get what you're saying or like what happens in the family should stay within the family so we shouldn't you know yeah we shouldn't talk tell the police especially or report this so I think that's one of the things that uh especially with with all population I mean I'm I'm gonna just say this right now trauma and narcissism and uh abuse happens any socioeconomic status uh -huh. any race any religion any gender I mean everywhere so uh but the population that I work with 
I will. I feel more comfortable speaking on them because that's what I see. Every yeah, day. it's what you know. Yeah, it's what I know. And uh, I absolutely think that clients are the ones that hold the power of change because if you're not wanting it, there's nothing we can do as therapists. And, and you know, that's one of the experiences that I had to learn along the way, too, was when clients stop therapy, they just stop coming. You feel a sense of blame, especially at the beginning. And then you, you notice that, like, a lot of times clients come back. They just weren't ready in that moment to start. So that's something I think is also important to point out. Right. Growth is not linear. It comes and goes and it dips and there's highs and there's lows. So I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. So um, anything else you want to share with our lovely listeners about you? And I think that's all. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well, with that said, let's go ahead and move on into uh, mindset vocabulary, my lovely listeners. All right. So. I totally geeked out this weekend about this whole show outline that I did for this episode and I kind of struggled a little bit but uh, you know it kind of just popped in my head I've shared with my lovely listeners that I have gone through a divorce and I went through a very emotionally abusive relationship with someone who was again very high on the narcissistic spectrum fairly quickly after my marriage ended and I think this was something that really resonated with me, especially when I was going through, you know, the the deep trenches of healing and and trying to get over my personal issues with, you know, just the course of my relationships and trying to find who I was. You, I don't think we can really talk about healing without talking about trauma bonding, (laughs) and this is so essential when it when we're talking about narcissistic relationships, and again. We've kind of talked about the the spectrum of narcissism. We've, you know, I'm Overshare is not advocating that everybody running around has uh, NPD or narcissistic (laughs) personality disorder. Uh, You know, it's kind of that you got to put yourself out there and determine, you know, where this person falls on the scale, right? But, and right now, I just, we're talking about if you are entrenched or in a relationship with someone who's, either has MPD or is on, you know, the, the higher end of the scale that has very n- narcissistic characteristics, right? So trauma bonding, what is it? Uh, and I'm excited to get Antonia's take about this because, again, you know, she's she sees this, she's dealing with it, and she's she knows more about it than me, I'll tell you that. Um, this is what I coined it. Um, it they're, ver- they're the very tight bonds that are observed in relationships characterized by unhealthy patterns. So um, things like inconsistency, invalidation, dehumanization, um, you know, passive aggressiveness, criticism, silent treatments we've kind of talked about this in the cycles of abuse that we you know we did last episode so again all of those things you actually feel more bonded to the individual that you're in the relationship with which is crazy uh and i i hate saying that it's crazy but it's crazy in the sense that you don't know it like you it's hard to see it when you're in it you have to remove yourself from that and we'll talk about that in tips tools and tricks but i really want to focus on trauma bonding and what what do you what's your definition of trauma bonding antonia i totally agree with you about the structure of trauma bonding it comes a lot all of the things that you just listed all of those are in the let's say the violent stage yeah um but it's a cycle so the the thing that makes trauma bonding so strong is that the during the violence part of it, mm-hmm. which we can just use, you know, there doesn't have to be physical aggression. A lot of times it can be verbal or mental as well, or a, an overlap of the three. Um, but what happens is the nonviolent part of it, the gifts, the love, the affection, the attention, that I'll never do it again, the... Um, yeah you know, uh, let me show you compassion part of it. That is what makes the trauma bond so strong. If it was just violent all of the time, there would be no bond there, right? It's a small glimmer of hope. Exactly. And that's what continues this trauma bond. And over time, what happens is a a form of gaslighting in that you or or the survivor doesn't know it's happening, like you said, when it's happening until after the processing of it to the being able to notice like oh these patterns were actually you know unhealthy or 
uh, a lot of times I see clients have blame, self-blame. Yeah. When we're going through the processing or the or the signs of it being an unhealthy relationship or, um, you know, having been with someone who was manipulating you. Yeah. That part of therapy is the hardest for people because they, it carries the most shame, honestly. Yeah, and we've... We've kind of we've done a few episodes that kind of touch on self blame, but you know, the whole people pleaser and self blame. It's it's funny. It's kind of been coming up within the episodes for for this month or from this month. In uh, self blame, we kind of talked about that last episode. You know, self blame is really about control because you can control it. You can't control the per- the potential of that person being able to change, right? It, it's <laughs> they, they, they either are or they are not going to do it. So it's easier to blame yourself. I, I think I read that in uh, Dr. Malkin's book last week and it was like a light bulb moment for me. I told my therapist that and she's like, I've told, how long have I been telling you that? <laughs> I've been telling you that. And she she's very much an advocate of she doesn't like to use the word self-blame, especially, f- and I will tell you, when we go into tips, tools, and tricks, I- I'm, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Uh, you really need to find a therapist or a life coach or whatever you, your journey, you know, on your journey that you want to help you deal with trauma or, you know, getting out of a narcissistic relationship, which you do need a therapist if you're going to get out of one. You have to have a therapist that understands that and and is very specialized in dealing with someone who's undergone narcissistic abuse because, like, for example, my therapist is very, I don't like that word that you're saying, self-blame. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's like, you have to understand that you're not blaming yourself. You're just really holding on to that, you know, piece of control that, you know, you, you can you can determine that and you're putting it on yourself. Like, you're, you're being hard on yourself when, you know... It, in, in reality, you just don't want to deal with the possibility of having to let that person go or, you know, losing that person out of your life because it's easier to do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easier to do it to yourself, which is sad, too. It's I mean, it's kind of a sad thing you have to really come to a realization with. But anyways, I also wanted to talk about I wanted to get your take on this, Antonia. Uh, so I know that, it, and maybe I need to tell my lovely listeners because maybe some people don't know about Stockholm syndrome. I thought that this was kind of, and you know, I've been getting a lot of, you know, because I've been doing a lot of reading lately, and some some therapists and some experts and some researchers they liken Stockholm syndrome to trauma bonding, and some disagree, some don't disagree. So what do you think about that? Well, t- why don't you tell people what Stockholm syndrome is? So Stockholm syndrome is something that was first studied in. Stockholm, Sweden, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, when there was a a hostage situation that happened. And when the hostages were released, what researchers found or what the community found is that they felt attached to the person that was their captor, their captor, captor. Um, And so people started studying it after that about how when you need someone for everything, your safety, um, you know, your sense of, am I going to survive today? That's sort of... It is a trauma bond, in my opinion. It is. Okay. So you agree. You I think, think there's, there's nuances okay. to, you know, the abuse, the level of the abuse or, or who the perpetrator is, let's say. Um, but it, it is a trauma bond. I mean, that's what happened in that situation. I, I just want to throw that out there. And I, I'm glad Antonia's here so that she gave my lovely listeners kind of some background. But again, there's all of these moving parts, right? And there's so, so many analogies or, you know, things that are similar to a trauma bond. And just to even break it down, maybe even further on a more basic term, this was something that I read uh, in from Dr. Craig Malkin. I keep saying his name over and over and over again. And again, you know, my lovely listeners, if you you go ahead and do some research, Uh, another one of my go-to doctors, uh, and she is a doctor on YouTube, is Dr. Romani. And she's really great. Uh, She's got tons of YouTube videos. And I know you guys like the short and sweet stuff. So, you know, she gives you nice little short videos about all this stuff. And she's great. But Dr. Malkin likened a relationship with an abusive partner to a gambling addiction. I thought this was so interesting. Okay, so the person is is being that the person is being abused is focused on the positive and waiting for the next positive. And maybe this is the same thing as like the hostage situation because I guess maybe they're depend you know they're looking to that person 
for their next meal, for their next ability to move or go somewhere or do something, right? So there's a psychological effect like gambling. So the moments of tenderness and intimacy are unpredictable. So you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when you're going to get it. But they are so intense and fulfilling that the victim winds up staying in the hopes that a moment like that will happen again. So think about it, my lovely listeners, like a slot machine, right? You're sitting at the slot machine and you're putting the coin in and you know maybe at some point you're going to hit the jackpot, right? So you just keep putting the coin in, you keep pulling the lever. And it's this intermittent reinforcement, this, this, this possibility of this inconsistent reward that keeps you going. And that's kind of what a trauma bond is. You're putting that coin in that slot machine over and over again, no matter how ugly the slot machine is to you emotionally or even physically abusive to you or, you know, mean to you, mean to you in the sense of like putting you down, devaluing you. We've talked about devaluing in the last episode. So I thought that was a very good visual. I'm a visual person. So what do you think about that, Antonia? I totally agree. I think that inconsistent positive reinforcement is exactly what creates a trauma bond that yeah. hope for better that uh hope that this person can change that hope that you can be the one to change them um and interestingly trauma and abuse are the foundation for addiction right yes so see people with gambling addiction substance abuse addictions a lot of time that comes from um you know having experienced abuse and then that forms your personality later on um which you know, has a lot to do with those attachment styles that we talked about off the air. Yeah, we're, um, that's, this is the next point. We're getting, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting, getting there. ahead of myself. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Um, so again, to my lovely listeners, that intermittent reinforcement is so intrinsic in the trauma bond. So if you find your, well, again, we'll, we'll talk about it in tips, tools, and tricks. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to talk about in mindset vocabulary is attachment styles. And I, I, me and Antonio were talking about this last night on the pre-show call. I could probably do a whole, I could probably do a whole month on this. And I didn't even realize any of this until I personally took, took it upon myself to go into therapy and have to figure this out. What am I? And one of my dear friends gave me actually a book that and I forgot the title of it. So I'm, that's on me. Sorry, my lovely listeners, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll ask her and give you that information, but it, it's a attachment style book where it makes you fill out certain questions and then it kind of gives you a assessment about where you fall. If you're, you know, anxious or avoidant. So that's what I'm saying. I think I just need to do an, an episode on it, but I wanted Antonia to talk about attachment styles because she brought this up last night and um, go ahead, go for it. <laughs> yes. So I definitely agree with you that it's best to don't, I mean, I know that there's a lot of online quizzes and things that you can take. I recommend to get, you know, do it in therapy because there's a lot of stuff that could come up for you. But basically attachment was first started by John Bowlby, um, who was a, one of the early founders, you know, one of the most impactful people in psychology um, in the early 1900s. So he found that there's four attachment styles that we have, anxious, or in children we say anxious, ambivalent, um, avoidant. We have disorganized, which can also, I think the most common term that people recognize is fear, fearful avoidant. And then we have secure, which is the most common um, in the Western studies. We find that most of the population is, has secure attachment styles. But um, the one that we find most with personality disorders is that disorganized or fearful avoidant. Um, so that is often found with early childhood severe abuse or trauma. Um, and so this will lead most often to people using substances to cope, forming those personality disorders, and then depression. So there's definitely an overlap in research on those, uh, yeah. on the connection between those two. And then do you want me to kind of talk about the others or? Yeah, no, I, we, overview. Uh, no, yeah, just in, in this is, I, I just wanted to let my listeners, this is something that's developed early, very early on through your primary caretaker is what, what Antonia is talking about with all of these things. And it, it you're going to develop one regardless if you go through trauma or not, depending on how that early development happened when you were growing up and whoever your primary caretaker was, was, you know, throughout your childhood and again, that's what I'm saying. You have to understand your past in order to 
have a healthy present and and the possibility of a healthy future but yeah go go for it go for it right so what happens is what he studied john bulby studied is is babies Mm -hmm. depending on the facial reactions of their parents that completely impacted their response right so or their behavioral uh response when their parents left the room or when their parents came in if their parents played with them if their parents paid them attention if their parents ignored them there's a lot of uh videos of this that on youtube also that you know i studied in grad school and we learned about and they're so interesting to watch but basically anxious uh adults often have inconsistent parenting. So that means that sometimes your parents showed you affection, sometimes they showed you attention, sometimes they just didn't. And um, also another thing we see with that one is a lot of your parents are needing something from the child. Mm. So when the parents feel anxious, they go to the children for that sort of support and reinforcement which is really unhealthy and that you know (laughs) it's a big part of the foundation of anxious adults and then the avoidant uh parents or the avoidant adults have usually have parents that were super tough super strict and emotionally distant so these are the ones that we see people being really independent like oh no i can do it myself very confident very self-sufficient and a lot of times we see that in our culture as something positive right yes oh this person is you know a a go-getter they can do it um but it can also be very damaging because we need support right we need to be able to ask others for help um and then like i said the disorganized uh, attachment style usually comes from severe abuse and neglect as a child. And then the secure one, the one that the secure attachment style, the one that's most common in the United States, 66 on average, depending on the research study, 66% of the population has secure attachment styles. And this is when you feel safe as a child, you have comfort, you feel support in exploration when you fall, your parents don't, you know, oh, let me help you. What can we do? They, they kind of let you figure it out exactly that's exactly right it's so funny because dr malkin has a whole chapter in this book that i've been reading about how to do i hate saying this but how to develop a healthy narcissist uh, I, I, I don't even like i don't even like that coming out of my mouth but it's very <laughs> much that it's very much that you basically he's wanting to encourage a healthy level of narcissism in kids uh, you know so that they're able to carry whatever they're genetically pre whatever their genetic predisposition is right so if they're outgoing or they're maybe more a little more timid you know the parent has to be able to it's this balance of nurturing and guidance and uh, and then the balance of when to step back like so it it, again it was very i don't have any kids but hey I, i it was very interesting to see that dynamic and and i'm very like i want the next generation to be mindful cognizant self-aware individuals in the world that are going to contribute to good causes and altruistic causes and that's how we do it we we you know promote you know healthy mindset and things like this you know so that people know that they have to work at it especially if they're predispositioned or you know they have some certain things that they haven't worked out you know they they have to they have to do it well they don't have to they have a choice of making that decision to do it or not and we want them to i guess is my clarification for overshare so um that was great though i'm so glad you you shared that with uh the attachment saws i really think i'm gonna have to do a whole episode on it so anything else Okay, so with that, let's get into tips, tools, and tricks because I'm sure some of this stuff is going to come up. And remember, we're we're talking about how to heal after you have ended the relationship with a narcissist, okay? And I am going to tell my lovely listeners, this is, and I'm just speaking personally, this is such a hard thing to go through. And probably one of the reasons I started this podcast because I, I felt, and, and again, Antonio can kind of give me some feedback on this, but I literally felt like a primitive feeling of devastation when this relationship ended. And and honestly, my lovely listeners, if you're wondering if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist, if you feel that way after it ends, that's a pretty big red flag that you were involved with a narcissist. And I just, as like I said, it's one of the reasons why I you know, started this whole endeavor with the podcast because if I can help people push through that and and know that there is hope after that and the healing you know because you hear it all the time even in if you do start therapy they tell you oh it's going to be fine you know it's always that reinforcement of it's going to be okay but there's a part of you that just doesn't believe that 
really deep down inside and i mean it, it takes shape in so many forms physical mental and i mean when i say physical and i'm just letting my my listeners know i mean my my hair fell out my i couldn't get out of bed for days on end i didn't want to be around anybody when i was around people they just they they didn't want to be around me i'll just say it that way you know it, i was just a completely i was a shell of who i was i didn't know what i wanted or who i like i said who i was and losing that type of sense of identity is very it's a trademark that you've been abused and that's my first like tip tools and tricks you have to acknowledge that what you were experiencing or you decided to walk away from was abuse even if it wasn't physical my lovely listeners i'm, I'm so passionate about that because emotional abuse is still abuse and if somebody was abusing you emotionally with their words with their their, their you know how they manipulated you it's i don't i honestly i think it's worse there were points in my relationship where i would tell my friends that i would rather have this is so hard to say i would have rather him just hit me because at least so he, i would have i would have seen it i wouldn't have questioned if i did something wrong to deserve it which even even in physical abuse i know survivors question themselves about that if they deserve to be hit but i <laughs> That's so sad to say. As I'm being super vulnerable right now for my listeners. But, no, but I think that's actually a really good point. I have, you know, we have support groups for um, parents of children that have been abused. Yeah. So uh, domestic violence survivors. And a lot of times the ones, the w situations in which there was no physical abuse, when they start the group, they're like, why am I even here? Yeah. You hit me. And throughout the process, seeing them understand that actually the emotional abuse is more can be more scarring. And I'm not belittling physical abuse; I no. think it's very damaging as well. But because there is a whole other layer to the mental uh, understanding, the logic behind emotional abuse, even criminally, right? Those cases aren't really pursued because there's no quote evidence and so i think that this is one yeah. of those parts where you're right i mean it's harder to process because you think a part of you thinks like oh well it didn't happen or maybe i'm uh exaggerating what happened so that's that's part of that manipulation process that narcissists use too it's like i said uh it's awful and there's i don't like i really don't tiptoe around that part of it the fact that you know healing is a lot of shadow work and i i coined that well i didn't coin that term therapists and researchers have coined that term but there is a lot of things that people have pushed down into their you know core where they haven't dealt with it or and again you go back to having to understand where you know why you are the way you are what you know what got you into this relationship because you have to take accountability for yourself because that's the only thing you're going to be able to change my lovely listeners and you know it's this really weird balance of being accountable but you know being easy on yourself and you know giving yourself the credence to to feel how you feel because your feelings are valid you're entitled to feel how you feel and you know one day you're going to feel great and one day you're going to feel crappy and one day you're going to feel you know mediocre and it's this roller coaster of emotions and that's why i highly highly encourage you if you are you know walking away from you know maybe being married to a narcissist or maybe a narcissistic parent or sibling or a friend even or maybe you have you've been surrounded by narcissists all your life the therapy is invaluable i i don't think i could have done it without my therapist and again that's where you're going to figure out your attachment style and why you have kind of walked down this path or wandered into the the cave of that narcissist so to speak and you know so the other thing i wanted to give my listeners for like a tip tool and trick is is to be mindful mindfulness mindfulness is of what is what is going on right now uh especially in narcissistic relationships um the the survivor really goes through this this cycle or you know this phase of future faking is what i like to call it so again we go back to the hope the hope of this person changing right remember we talked about the slot machine the intermittent reinforcement you have to quit thinking 
that this person is going to change, right? What do you think about future faking, Antonia? I look at it, or I call it, I mean, I know that's exactly what it is, but I call it fact versus fantasy. Yeah. So stick to the facts. Let's not focus on the fantasy because we can always have that what if, well, maybe next time or, you know, I did it this time. I caused it. So focusing on the fact, what really happened, which can be hard, but um, making a list of what are the facts? What did I experience versus what are the fantasy parts? What are the justifications that I've made for this person? Yeah. That's a good way to start. And uh, that's one of my tips. That's one of my tips here is make a list of everything your narcissist has, has done to you or did do to you. Everything. The, the whole, and you will be so surprised when you sit down and write the list and you read it back. And this is honestly pretty much in, in any, any type of therapy because that's why therapists make you write things down because it's like in your brain it's just like as you like you can it's weird because like when you think about it in your head you think oh this is okay and this is okay but i promise you my lovely listeners when you take the time to like let's say write your 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 um this list of you know, all these awful things that this person did to me emotionally, physically, whatever it is, whatever, put it on the list and then you go back and read it. It's like a, it's like a light bulb moment because you just can't, there's a part of you that just didn't want to accept it. Mm-hmm. And you, then you see it like physically on the, the paper. And this is what, and this is what I want to talk about too, is this, this idea of euphoric recall, because when you, any, and again, we're talking about narcissistic relationships and even in a regular breakup or, you know, separation, depending on, you know, who you're dealing with, you're always going to think about the good times. Like your brain is always going to go there because, you know, that's what, you know, that's when you were saying, oh, I miss this or I miss that or I miss our Sunday evenings or I'm, you know, but you, your brain is never going to go to the bad. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because you know, that always used to confuse me. But when you're missing someone and, and the finality or the end of the relationship, it's gonna, your brain's gonna have that euphoric recall. That's why these lists are so important because, especially if it's an abusive person, because <laughs> those, those moments of euphoria weren't real. They weren't real. It's so hard for me to say that. They weren't real. They were not real. My lovely listeners, the euphoric, nice, beautiful moments with your narcissist were not real. And this, these lists, whenever you feel that way, when you want to pick up the phone and text him or her and reach out to him, that's what these lists are for. For me, and I'm speaking personally, what do you have? Is that what you think too? Will you do, is that what you tell your patients? Like if they feel the need to reach out or make contact again mm-hmm. for the survivors? It's definitely one of the steps, <laughs> you know, First, I don't totally agree. The first tip I would give is to be in therapy while you're processing this because there can be a lot of things that come up that can be hurtful, hurtful or harmful if you are if you don't have some sort of professional guidance, right? Yes. Um, and so that's the first. And also just connections to your family of origin, not for blame of your parents or your family members or your primary caregivers, but just an understanding, right? Sometimes change happens when we can understand that they also were, were hurt or uh, they didn't know any better. They didn't have the resources that we do now. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Definitely uh, I, uh, the f- fact versus fantasy, um, coping skills, forming uh, a community bond again. So like you said, a lot of times these, these people create isolation for the survivor. And so whenever the relationship is over, you have to kind of rebuild these relationships with family and friends. Yeah. And, and you know, your church or whoever you, you your social supports are. Um, And that part can be the hardest because a lot of times you've hurt other people in your pursuance of this person, right? Or to keep them in your life. Mm -hmm. And that, I could do a whole other show on that. (laughs) But to to like the reinsertion of you back into the world, Mm -hmm. because it's so true. And just personally speaking, I know that people dealt with my big old mess of you know continuing to go back and we talked about this with the hoover last episode and you know on average you know women or men depending on who you are obviously um you go back you know seven to eight times that's not unheard of and you shouldn't feel shamed because of that but you know the people around you see that and they 
they become very disappointed and very uh, disillusioned and very fed up of, I mean, this is why I, mean, I was talking to Antonia about this and I you know, likened it to being a drug addict because a drug addict is going to say and do whatever to get their fix. Very they're going to lie. They're going to, they're going to steal. They're going <laughs> to, and That's it's a very good point. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Earlier I mentioned the support group for parents or family members that's another thing I think that's really important to talk about is even if you weren't the one who experienced the, let's say, uh, firsthand, uh, you know, abuse, abuse, yeah. you still were a part of it. And so even if you're a family member that's listening or a friend, I recommend looking for those support groups for yourself, too, because it's. It changes our brain structure when we experience trauma. And a lot of times as an, you know, as an outsider looking in, we can just judge someone who, like you said, on average, a woman leaves seven times before she really separates from her abuser. And so being able to understand that this is not something that's conscious, this is a deep rooted belief and, you know, someone's brain has to reprocess. And here's the hope. We do have neuroplasticity, which means that we can change our brain structure back to what it was before or make it stronger yeah. of our experiences. Um, so, so yeah, you know, support groups for yourself and also for family members or friends, I think is really important. Uh, uh, that's, I need to write that down because I feel like I'm going to do a whole episode on that and, and just maybe just general trauma or whatever. Because I, like I said, I really don't want Overshare to be so focused on narcissism because e my lovely listeners, you can go and, and YouTube it and you'll see there's so many people that have that niche where that's all they'll talk about is, you know, things like trauma bonding and the cycles of, you know, narcissistic, narcissistic abuse and, and all of this is important and very near and dear to my heart. But again, we want to focus on, the healing and that that comes in many forms you know and you and me and antonio were talking about a lot of things last night with just how amazing the body is when it comes to dealing with trauma or processing trauma and what it looks like if we don't you know face it and and process it and really deal with it and you know that's how we get narcissists running around in the world uh you know and i feel like it's really i told i told uh <laughs> I told Antonio this last night that there has to be some level of forgiveness that you you have to get to and that's so hard to do I'm still working on that to be honest but you know my good friend Shannon who came on the show a couple weeks ago he told me that you know you should be grateful you should be grateful because you met your narcissist when you were a full, you know, functioning uh, autonomous adult at 37 or 36 years old. He, he or she didn't. Um, that individual that, you know, has full-blown NPD um, faced their narcissist when they were, you know, a, a child. And they didn't, there's, no, there's nothing you can do when you're a child in that situation. You can't get up and leave, right? You can't just walk away. So, you know, that's a really, that was a really big light bulb moment for me when uh, Shannon told me that, and it's true. Um, so before, because we're, it's, you know, it's already like 15 till, but the last thing I want to talk about, since I think this is a really important piece too, which I think I'm going to do an episode on this, is spending time alone or being single, my lovely listeners. I know you guys don't like to hear this when, <laughs> in, the, in the society that we live in, right? Because we, we there's a lot of things about, you know, being married and being in a relationship or having your soulmate. And, and I'm not saying any of the, oh, those things are bad. Those are great. Like, they're beautiful things and, you know. But there is something to being alone and finding yourself especially after you've been through you know the end of a marriage or the end of an abusive relationship you you have no clue who you are i'm sorry i i truly believe that i really don't think that you have any idea of what makes you happy or what makes you come alive or what makes you tick what makes you motivated what makes you get out of bed in the morning and it's that's that's hard man i mean and it's e so easy to just jump into another relationship and be like okay i'm i'm okay now like it's trying to fill that hole and i like i said i think i'm gonna do a whole episode on this because i just don't think that people know how to be alone that's right i think the hardest part of the healing is actually feeling the emotions and a lot of us look for distractions whether that is in another relationship or you know any anything uh, too much of anything is a bad thing right so yeah. overworking 
you know, focusing just on your work um, or working out, anything that's too much instead of actually feeling as a society, we're told to just move on to the next thing, right? So I yeah. absolutely agree with you. Being in that moment, in that stillness, processing what you're feeling, that's the only way you can truly heal is going through it and not avoiding it. That's what therapy is to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what therapy is to. And it's so awful. It's not awful, but like you, your brain automatically goes there because your brain doesn't want to deal with it. There's this because your brain is I was talking to my friend about this. Your brain is there to protect you to, to put you in that survival mode and it's going to do anything. That's why you feel fear. That's why you feel anxiety. That's why you have these things that come up when, you know, maybe you, you're starting you trying something new or doing something new or being alone for the first time or going to dinner by yourself for the first time. And you're worried that you look like a sad, pathetic person that's sitting there by themselves eating dinner alone. Your brain is going to make you you know, it's going to have those neurons and the, the chemicals like saying, oh, no, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. Amygdala. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. So this is part of something I work with all my clients on is how our brain can be affected um, following the trauma and then how our brain influences our processing of the trauma. So what that part of our brain that you're talking about, that fight, flight, or freeze is the amygdala. It's the first part of our brain that's formed when we're, we're inside of our mother's wombs. Um, so even as babies, if you're in your mom's womb and you're hearing abuse around you when you're inside of the womb, those babies are born with bigger amygdalas. So it, it really impacts, like that's what I'm saying, trauma in the brain, there's so much research out there about how impactful it can be. Um, but when our amygdala is on, our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that handles logic and understanding and deep thought processes is off. So yes, that part is stronger. When we're in the emotions, when we're uh, scared or anxious, those are going to be uh, more impactful. They're going to be influencing, influencing our thoughts. We're not going to be rationalizing in those moments. So another thing that's really important in the tips and tricks is slow down your breathing. Yeah. Do deep breathing exercises that really helps with turning off the amygdala and turning on our prefrontal cortex. Y'all heard it. I've and I've heard. I've been trying to meditate in the mornings. Just even if even and y'all, that's it's hard. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like it's uh, just to sit still and have everything off. And you know, I'm a big diffuser person. I like to have my diffusers on and my candles and just to like, just sit there in silence. It you know it kind of starts my day. And I've only been able to do it that right now. The the max is like five minutes that I've worked myself up to being able to truly meditate and be quiet and be still and uh it, like i said it sounds hippy dippy but it it it's very it works and it and it helps it helps me throughout my day it helps me deal with the the chaos or you know the unexpected you know tribulations that come my way or you know it, to you my lovely listeners you're going to deal with things that don't go your way throughout the day and it just kind of really gives me some perspective and like a, a starting point a good starting point for the day and especially with the breathing if i get frustrated i i i see myself or find myself breathing or just taking a minute and be like okay like, i just need to chill out like i just need to sit and just take a couple breaths and and then i can let me just <laughs> let me tackle this because i you know you you get really worked up you can get very anxious and again those are some things you have to figure out in therapy what your triggers are you know Absolutely. and you know what what sets you off what doesn't set you you know all those things come up and you start being more conscious of this and we talk about that with self-awareness because you have to understand that you have those moments in the day where you like why am i feeling like this mm -hmm. ask yourself that my lovely listeners sometimes I'll, t I'll take some time out of the day like maybe every four or five hours and ask myself how i'm feeling i know that sounds really hippy dippy too but uh it's i've been trying to do that because it's helped improve my self-talk and how i talk to myself mm -hmm. because i mean Nobody else is going to do it for me. It's and part it, of that self-compassion, right? Yeah. Like, how are you feeling, Jen? Like, you know, sometimes I feel a little crazy when I do that. But <laughs> it's like, it's like a check-in with yourself. And you're the most important person. Like, you, you're the only person that's really going to give yourself that, that spotlight, that emotional spotlight, I mm -hmm. think. It's thought restructuring is what it is. 
um, which yes, it happens and it's needed, especially after trauma, because you're used to the negative self-talk. So, you know, I'm, I'm here listening to you and I, I'm not your therapist, but I see the progress that you've made just hearing you talk about these things. I think that's wonderful. And it's not easy. You're right. It's not, no, it's but. not. And especially when you go back from your childhood and you see the patterns from maybe the way you talk to yourself, even when you were, even when you were a child and you've carried that on throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, and then you go through a traumatic event and it, it just gets, it per, like, it just up, ups the ante, right? With the fact that you, the self-esteem and how you see, like, your sense of self-worthiness goes down. And that's when you start losing your sense of identity. And you, you, you got to reel that in, my lovely listeners. Do whatever you have to do at all costs to protect that because, like I've told y'all before, I had to write it on my mirror. I had to leave post-it notes around my apartment to, you know, put myself back in some type of perspective that I am enough and was always enough. And that was written on my mirror for almost two years. Every morning I had to look at it. Every morning I had to face that, Mm -hmm. even though internally I really didn't think so. And it's just a process y'all. And I still have to work on it every day. I'm not like I said, I'm not an expert. None, nobody is. Nobody is, and it's just, it's a journey. And like, I, the only thing I can tell you is that it is totally worth it. It is totally worth it to leave these relationships behind and figure figure out who you are and give yourself the chance to just find what you love and what you want to do. It's just, it's like I said, it's so rewarding to come. To, to go on a, jur- a journey of healing because you, you have the, the perspective of how it felt when you were that low and like now you feel the way you do because you've done the work. Like I said, it's like live, learned, and earned. Like it's, you lived it, you, you learned from it, and now you, you've earned this level of happiness and just where you're at, you know, this self-awareness, it, it, it's truly a gift. So anything else before we go into rapid fire? No, that was said beautifully. I totally agree with everything you just said. Thanks for being that vulnerable. Yeah. Well, people need to hear it. If I need to hear it, then people out there need to hear it. (laughs) I love that attitude. It's so true. Okay, so let's do rapid fire with Antonia. Okay, this is a new one. I found this one the other day. I was very excited about this. If you could create one rule, everyone in the world had, everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? One rule. Everybody in the entire world had to follow your rule. Okay. (laughs) So, mm, that's a good one. I think, and this is hypothetical, right? So, everyone out there. Well, I mean, (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it is hypothetical, yes. I think it it would be that everyone had to be open to the idea of difference, if that makes, let me clarify. So, I think you don't have to agree with other people's beliefs or practices in your own life, but just be open to the idea that others can think differently or practice differently or love differently. So that's what I would say. Just be open to the idea that there's other people, other things, people, other thoughts, things, other different, yeah, opinions, the differences. Be more accepting people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Love it. But yes, really be more accepting. Yes. Okay. So fill in the blank for me. Vulnerability is. Vulnerability is true strength. True strength. I think people, like we were saying earlier, um, it can be seen as a sign of weakness to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But it's when you can truly be raw and open and, you know, in tune with your emotions, it's the most powerful thing. It's the most powerful thing. And last one, because this is I'm this is you're going to be the last one to ask this for a while, because I <laughs> I think I've worn this one out. But what's on your nightstand? I have uh, always have like a reusable water bottle, like this one right here. I have um, whatever book I'm reading in the mo- in the moment. I have a lamp. Okay, a, that's good. Um, nobody says those. Nobody said that lately. Yeah. Like, don't <laughs> have a lamp on your nightstand. I have flowers. I have a. Um, a diffuser okay and i have the collection of jane austen books from barnes and noble <laughs> oh i see i'm the i'm the same way i'm the i'm um yeah the book nerd man yeah anything else any last piece of advice that 
you want to leave with the listeners today? Just something that you really, maybe you share with your patients every, a lot or frequently that, you know, helps them on their journey? I hope that this helps is just knowing that it, it kind of gets worse before it gets better. So that's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So, you know, getting better, like I said, it's not magic. It takes a lot of work. It takes time. And so if there's days where you feel like, can you cuss on the show? No? <laughs> yeah, no. you can. If you feel like crap, let's just say crap. <laughs> if there's days that you feel like crap and you just want to cry, do it. You know, it's not like you have to always be good. Sometimes there's days where you just need to, like I said, feel it and and that's okay. So if you have those days, I mean, if it happens every day, then yes, definitely get professional help if you're not already in therapy of some kind. Um, but every now and then we're just allowed to feel. It's so true. Like, I, I think I said that earlier, feelings, y- your feelings are your feelings. Like, you you need to, oh gosh, that's what therapy is. You have to sit with them and identify them and, you know. They're uncomfortable. and we They're think so uncomfortable. Anger and <laughs> sadness are bad, quote, bad emotions, but they're not. What's you know, that movie with the, with the girl? With the, out. yes, watch Inside Out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's. Uh, yeah just watch it the other thing too my shannon always makes everybody in in group watch castaway i don't and so especially if you've just gone through a divorce or maybe left like a narcissistic relationship just to and i'm sure a lot of people have already seen it but you have to rewatch, like rewatch it and really think about it in the sense of like what tom hanks goes through anyway just it's weird i did it and it sounds hippy dippy but you know there's some movies like that that really I don't know. Like I said, when we suffer and we go through pain and we go back and like I started watching Family Matters again and it's so funny. Like it sounds like a quirky show, which I mean it is. They don't make shows like that anymore. Like late 80s, early 90s, right? Man, the good old time, the good old days, you know, but it's so funny. You see some of the same issues come through um, again and again Mm -hmm. and you know, now that you get older, you kind of reassess, like you have a different lens and some of the things are like, wow, like that really makes sense. Or like, wow, that's really poignant. Or wow, that's really, you know, that really stuck with me. Um, anything else? No, I think I just recently had that with The Sopranos. I rewatched oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, I watched it through a different time. lens. So yeah, I think you're right. Our experiences kind of shape our influences and our beliefs. Um, so... I, I agree with you on that one. I also just wanted, before I wrap up the show, today's MLK Day, I and I I do have my little soapbox here, and I'm just going to, I really hope everyone, you know, they're really coining it as, you know, not a day off, but a day on. That's kind of been the, the, the term or, you know, the terminology they've been using, which, you know, I, I totally agree with, but I, I really, the, what I want to bring home is that we can't really move on if we don't identify what was wrong in the past and i'm not going to get on a political soapbox right now what i can say is that it all begins with you and we've talked about this throughout you know the start of overshare and even now this is what's going to help people you know bring this concept of identifying the past and you know then you can heal, then you can, you can, you know, move on and and make changes. If people do that on a personal level, if you really focus on yourself and bring that self-awareness home, it's going to, it's going to change the world. And I don't care who says that, like if I'm being hippy dippy about that, but I truly believe that. And that's what I feel is the problem, the reoccurring problem that we have these you know, like today's MLK day and, and, you know, people are going to, you know, post all these quotes and say all these things and, you know, honor Dr. King's legacy, which of course we should, but it isn't what we say today. It's what we say tomorrow and for the rest of the year and what we do for the rest of the year and how we can put more love into the world and talk about self-awareness and talk about mental health because the universe and the world is shoving it in our face right now, my lovely listeners, with COVID and, you know, isolation and we have to come together and we have to like Antonia says if she if her rule was really enforceable acknowledge our differences and embrace those differences and find vulnerability in those differences like I've said before it's hard to hate people close up so just give people an opportunity to tell their story and I just wanted to point that out you know 
social change and you know, a really, you know, hard social change is going to happen when individuals take responsibility for themselves. So just work on your self-awareness. And if you're in a relationship with a narcissist or thinking about leaving a narcissist, just, just do it. I'm telling you, it's going to, you're going to, you're going to be so grateful. You know, it may not be tomorrow. It may not be in a week, but I promise you, you're just going to be so elated and happy that you did it. So with that said, um, check me out on Instagram. I It's overshare.podcast. I reluctantly have downloaded TikTok because of my friend. So I will be making some TikTok videos. I don't care what I have to do to make y'all listen to the hour-long show. I will do it. So please, please, please um, check me out on TikTok. I, I have the same handle. It's overshare.podcast. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Please check me out on Spotify uh, or Apple Podcasts. Leave me a rating. Leave me a review. I love to hear from y'all. Or if you guys have any topics that you want me to do shows on, I'm so open to any feedback like that. So I just want to let my lovely listeners know that there will not be a um, last episode for the month. So so let me just, <laughs> Overture is going to be doing three episodes every month. We're going to be taking the last week off so that I can gather my bearings and give you guys better content and I can focus on my social media since you guys want two minute videos that change your lives, which I, you know, I, I, I'm going to work. I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, but so that's where what I'll be doing the last week of each month. You guys are going to get three episodes every month. So the next episode will be dropping on February the 7th. Uh, and I've really been told like going back and forth about the series for february god february already uh i really think i'm gonna do a focus on the power of intention in different ways um romantic professional i'm gonna have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show in february to tell their stories personal stories how they got their business started their tribulations so it's gonna be great y'all it's gonna uh, of course give you some good mindset development tools and you know give you an opportunity to level up on you know your self-awareness so definitely check it out just follow me on social media stay tuned overshare is going to continue to give you the good content and keep pushing you to work on your self-awareness like i said so with that uh my lovely listeners the light within me honors the light within you and you guys have a great monday have a great week have a great rest of january since i won't be back until february and remember to always always speak your truth fiercely and with vulnerability They fell in love one summer A little too wild for each other Shiny till it wasn't Feels good till it doesn't It was a first real lover It's due till he had another Oh god, but you found out Trust levels went way down She knows she'll find love Only if she wants it She knows she'll find love Of course she was sad But now she's glad you dodged the bullet Took a few years to soak up the tears But look at her now, watch her go Go.